If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Coming up on equity, Facebook falls on its face. Everyone's raising a nice even $100 million. Atlassian gives up on workplace chat and crypto. It's almost that time of the year again. Disrupt SF is right around the corner and will literally be bigger and better than ever. We've outgrown the various piers that line the bay and have moved the show to Moscone West. Panels across two stages will include Aileen Lee, Reed Hoffman, Ellie Wheeler, Ashton Kutcher, Ben Horowitz, and Priscilla Chan, just to name a few. Sounds like a great lineup to us. And because we love you, our dear equity listeners, we have a discount code just for you. Head on over to techcrunch.com slash events slash disrupt dash SF dash 2018 and enter code equity for 15% off the main ticket price. What savings? Welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Matthew Lindley. I'm joined by Silicon Valley editor Connie Loizos. Hi, everyone. Crunchbase News editor-in-chief reporting from Providence. Hello, it's Alex. And today we have the co-founder of Reddit and self-described soulless VC slash co-founder <laughs> of Initialized Capital, Alexis Ohanian. Thank you Hello. for joining us. Hello. Very happy to be here. Okay. So, uh, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to put on my NPR voice now that I'm here. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, so if you were not under a rock and you had access to the internet somewhere, uh, you probably heard about Facebook losing a lot of money. Um, so Facebook, basically what happened was Facebook reported its second quarter earnings uh, yesterday, and it was kind of mixed. It had like a slowing growth and... Facebook still has, of course, you know, several billion dollars, billion dollars, billion dollars in revenue and billion users and so on and so forth. But there are some signals that uh, its growth is going to be slowing. Um, revenue growth is going to be slowing. Its advertising business might be slowing. And uh, essentially, it's losing momentum and it's trying to find ways to articulate that it has Instagram and WhatsApp and all these other things. But Facebook as a core business uh, may not be, uh, may not uh grow ad infinitum in the same way that Google and others uh, others are going to be growing. So uh, Mark Zuckerberg is definitely not as rich as he was yesterday. Not even um, close. Facebook's not even close. Uh, so Facebook lost about $120 billion. That's billion with a B. The biggest cap. stock market wipeout in U.S. history. In U.S. history, yes, that's right. Because I think there was one, <laughs> there's one more beyond that. There was one. It was Volkswagen oh. actually in Europe. But uh, the revenue point, Lindley, isn't the only real problem. They also said that their operating margins long term won't stay in the mid 40s. They're going to fall to the mid 30s. So they've kind of dramatically said that their future profits will be much smaller than expected. And that's why I'm just not surprised the stock got repriced. I mean, there's a lot less future cash flows to enjoy. So why wouldn't it go yeah. down a material percentage? I mean, I remember like I was watching this happen. I was the first thing that came to my mind was something not so dissimilar happened to LinkedIn. I don't know if you guys remember before Microsoft bought them. They mm -hmm. came out with their like LinkedIn was essentially like, okay, we are this professional network where people come and share news and connect and so on and so on and so forth. And they had all these business lines and then they reported their earnings and it was like, actually, crap, this is a SaaS business. And then like it fell like 50%. Uh, and then fortunately, Microsoft bought them, you know, shortly after that. So the stock went right back up. But 
uh, it was one of those things where you're right. It's like a repricing, right? You have to kind of rethink the business. You're looking forward. You're like, okay, if we price this against future earnings or, you know, 12, month, 12, tra- 12 months trailing revenue, all these different like metrics and financial gymnastics analysts use to ascribe a magic number for its valuation. Um, it has to be, it has to be different. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, we kind of looked at Facebook saying, okay, it's always going to be the same business. And now it's like, Oh wait, actually no, they're actually they may have to change things. <laughs> so. It's a it's a shift. I uh I was thinking about this when when the news dropped. I cannot but wonder, and I don't know if it, someone on the Googles can maybe sort this out. How much of this is Facebook saying, Hey, look, we see the writing on the wall around privacy. We know things are gonna have to evolve, and the reason that those margins are gonna dip is because we know we're not gonna be able to harvest as much of the data as we used to. Yeah, and is we that, have to hire more humans to vet. Precisely, oh, I think the human cost yeah. is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So is that not? Am I just stating what was in an article that I could have just read? No, no, <laughs> no, that, no. That, that is the theme of the show. Yeah. Okay. No, but no, no. That's that's. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> Connie. Don't tell everyone our secret. Jeez. <laughs> um, no, I think that's absolutely it. But I still, I'm still sort of really shocked by the drop. I mean, Bloomberg, speaking of things we've read, had a really great piece on like four theories about why it could have been so dramatic. One of them was that Facebook just didn't like communicate this to investors quite enough. I mean, I think it was saying like, we're dealing with GDPR. And of course, you know, you saw everybody uh, give, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg give his Senate testimony. A great communicator. <laughs> Zach, yeah. I mean, you knew things were like a little bit going off the rails, but I think maybe they needed to do a little bit better job of messaging. I mean, I still can't believe it. I think they had like 44 buy ratings yeah. to yeah. like neutrals. Yeah, like yeah, the analysts yeah. were not expecting this. Yeah. I mean, like to be to be clear, like let's review what happened this year. We had GDPR, we had the Cambridge Analytica, Analytica scandal, mm-hmm. Young Coom bailed because he thought that they that they weren't gonna they were gonna like monetize WhatsApp in a way that they didn't want. Yonkou right, was the, right. the co-founder, co-founder of WhatsApp, um, and he you know stuck around for a while, and then he he sort of bounced. Uh, and now when he pick- bounced, like he really yeah, he so like that was like he an like, acrimonious yeah, like. Because <laughs> he went he went to join Sync Signal. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, built a foundation. So he basically went to the the arch nemesis or one of the arch nemeses of the thing he had created yeah. <laughs> just to make a statement and get behind it from yeah. a philanthropic standpoint and a mission standpoint it's, it's a baller move yeah is absolutely what that is yeah but i mean it's like yeah. a, a lot happened this year and yeah. uh you know obviously it, you know the wall street tends to like be on the whims of like a quarter by quarter basis but it's one of those things where it's like no 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 seriously like a lot happened this year mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to rethink, you have to rethink everything. Well, you know, and one I thing do... to keep in mind is that I think Zuckerberg still has the vast majority of voting power in the company. So the person who got them here, who led them to this mistake is now still completely in charge and you can't change it. So if you're buying into the stock now, you're re-voting in favor of Zuck who kind of crashed the car a bit. That that's not a great place to be in terms of what you want to buy with stocks if you don't get votes. Snap has the we're same not, problem. We're not going to call him Zuck. We're not going to call him Zuck anymore. He's a big boy. He can handle being called Zuckerberg. Yes, but I'm lazy. Um, so there's a difference. Anyways, my, my point is the voting the voting issue is real, and there's been some calls for him to like you know step down as, as chairman. Uh, he won't, right? Because he's always been a god king at the company. But this makes me bring up you know governance again as a critical issue for public and private companies. Yeah, and it's so it's an uh, it's an ugly hack, right? What founders like Zuck and others have done to create this class of shares, the weird voting rights. Like, look, I think it has the best of intentions. Uh, and I think actually in a lot of scenarios, it does make sense to have people properly incentivized, especially leadership, 
um, to not be thinking short term because, yeah, the public markets are just sometimes quite ridiculous uh, mm-hmm. if you're trying to build long term value. Right. And, you know, we actually shameless plug. Uh, we invested in a company called Long Term Stock Exchange mm-hmm. uh, founded mm-hmm. by Eric Reese, mm-hmm. And he's still a long way. I mean, there's a lot of work they have to do on the regulation side, but he wants to create a type of alternative to the current public markets, New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, where built into the system is actually just some some cleverness, basically, that says um, your impact, sort of your voting power has more to do with the length of time you've held the stock. Tenured voting. I think yes. it makes yeah, 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 so yeah. much sense. I don't know why it hasn't why been around from this? the outside. I don't know. I mean, there are, I think, like entrenched interests keeping mm-hmm. it at bay. Yeah, so I don't fair. know if Eric's thing will take off. I hope it does because it makes all the sense in the world that if you you know, are a long-term investor, you should have more say over yeah. uh, you know, what happens. I mean, it's, like, it's, not, it's not so dissimilar from what happens, like what's been a little bit more common in the private markets, right? It's like we're seeing more secondaries these days, which oh, yeah. is like we want our founders to be around for a long time. But like, yeah, it's fine. You can buy a house. Don't don't worry about it. Well, I think that, uh, that excuse you know, is not kind of lame, though. The whole buy a house thing. It's not just that. The Bird CEO sold some stock in their recent funding round. The company's been around for a year. I think the, the whole we'll second. how that goes. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're, we're not talking about scooters. This is not this, is not I, this week. I'm looking for a way to talk about scooters. I didn't scooters. say scooters. I said Bird. I'm just saying I think that the, the <laughs> meme of go buy a house has been taken so far. It's been stretched to the point of being meaningless. Founders are not just cashing out like like exit levels of, of equity. I don't think that's good for the long-term right. health of the companies. But that, yeah. But no, the mm. the argument, the what we're talking about is it's like that's the theory, right? That's the principle of it. Is like you want to give them an opportunity to be able to still control the fate of the company because they know what they're doing allegedly, and like they you know have led that company to that point, but also like acquire some of the value that they've created for themselves. Yeah, um, not right. like all of it. And then and then we've talked to, you know, we've had some VCs on the show before um, and talked to people in the industry that are like, as long as a secondary is kind of distributed equally across multiple parties and it's not just a founder of a scooter company getting money, um, then it's, it's a better situation. But, you know, if you remember the situation with Mark Zuckerberg is way back, I think this was like years ago, maybe two years ago or something like that, when they did the reclassification of shares, the intent originally was so he could like donate that money, uh, and and uh, if you guys are if you guys did that remember, happen? No, 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 it didn't. <laughs> no, so that's that's what that's what that's what happened is they essentially that okay. they decided not to do that because he got so rich that it didn't matter. Um, so, but it but it was the again this the kind of intention was there, which was like let's uh, have an opportunity to uh, like share the wealth that we've created with the you know whether you know, investing and things like that in other companies or philanthropies Mm -hmm. or whatever, um, while still making sure that he's able to essentially control the fate of the company that he created. Um, so, uh, clearly that went well, but, uh, Uh, you know, another, um, theory in this Bloomberg story that I thought was really interesting. And I think you mentioned regulation a second ago. Mm -hmm. Um, this analyst said, you know, this could also be, they could be sort of trying to manage expectations to save off regulations, sort of saying, well, look guys, everything's slowing down. Our business is not going to take over the universe as you feared. Hmm. Maybe you guys need to, you know, that's some 4d chess. Yeah. 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 I do think regulation (laughs) factors into it and maybe. Oh, I mean, I wonder. I, 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 I think there is clearly, clearly more awareness and more discussion around privacy and personal information because now it has had teeth put on it uh, in a very real way, in a way that's in the press every other day. Absolutely. And 
And I do think even the most millennial of millennials still actually cares about her privacy. Mm-hmm. They, they, they want to have control. They, yes, uh, this generation overshares because of social media, but they feel like they're still doing it on their terms. They feel like they still have some agency now. More and more are learning that they actually don't. have a lot less and right. that they don't. But, uh, but I actually do see a future where, and some of you will probably think this is dystopian, but where, where people can basically opt into it as something that if they want to be harvested, they can, but they will be compensated for it. Yeah. And, and so the, you know, the, the unsexy version of this is basically ticking some boxes on the user agreement that says, yeah, you can harvest my stuff. Just make sure I get a percentage and you log in every few months and you know, there's some money in the bank account that you can withdraw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, some version of that. Now, practically speaking, there, there's a lot of work to be done there product wise. But I actually think some version of that is a pretty likely outcome because uh, we have varying degrees of of sort of um, our public and private. And there are things there are platforms like Signal, which we talked about earlier, where mm-hmm. people are very adamantly choosing it because of that privacy. Then there are others, uh, Instagram of the Facebook world, um, where people are very deliberately sharing because they want the world to see it. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine, <laughs> I mean, I can imagine people being incentivized to want to share because you know, they're out there trying to get that, uh, they, 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 they want to wear, or they want to, I'm holding a TechCrunch disrupt water bottle. <laughs> they want to photograph that. themselves <laughs> with TechCrunch disrupt water or LaCroix because they hope one day LaCroix will send them a free case, right? There is a, um, there are different degrees, uh, within our own lives where we want to share or not. And I actually think being compensated for it is really the least the least the platform. Alexis, can I ask you since yeah. you co-founded Reddit? Is this about water? Okay. No, it's not about water. It's 100% um, about how water. has what happened with Facebook changed Reddit's policies or what's the sort of opt-in opt-out sure. the the approach there? the unin- this was absolutely unintended when we started, but because the only personal information we get from a user is optional, which is their email, we don't know anything. And so uh, it has been a bigger challenge in the last 13 years to court advertisers because we can't offer them the targeting that they're used to. Right. But we've had to make the case that you don't need that data, that instead, because someone is, say, a member of the sneakers community on Reddit, that's actually telling you a lot more about them because they're proactively saying, like, I'm such a fan of this. I'm This is, where a, this is a community I belong to. Right. Not I clicked like on Adidas once six years ago, mm-hmm. but like or that I mentioned it in a comment because someone asked me about it. Um, but that this idea that you could target people within communities where they are primed to be thinking about and talking about and voting on those products. Um, We've tried to make the case that that is actually more valuable and that you don't need the private information. So as all this has happened, um, Reddit has been rather insulated because there just is no data that that we know about users uh, when it comes to demographics or anything like that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even benefiting from... Uh, I think long term, yeah, potentially. Yeah. I mean, there's still... You know, we actually just brought on a COO, um, Jen Wong, and she is amazing. And and she, she came from Time, Inc. So she's had to traverse the whole sort of old school media Media. world to new school one and so she really understands the challenges and the opportunities that we've got ahead of us and it's it's on her to now grow up that that business side of it but uh uh, it grew not, I mean, the, the, the three years I was back, we 5X'd in revenue, but I think she and the team there are going to take it even further. But it's still, a, I mean, it, it, it'll be $100 million this year. That, that's public, yeah. um, which is still a fraction. I don't know how, <laughs> Facebook lost how many dollars? How many? Yeah. 120, <laughs> uh, 120 billion. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by SharesPost.
But it's so still can, worth yeah, like five hundred billion, so can, isn't it? We can, or, or, we can no. talk about this ad we'll infinitum, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the the collapse of the Facebook regime. Um, but I mean, just just one at last one last quick note. I think what you're mm. what you're on what you're talking about. You know, one of the things that Facebook is really excellent at is articulating the value they create for advertisers. Mm-hmm. They can basically they do a very good job of of their dollar in dollar out uh, return on ad spend for that kind of stuff. And so it'll be interesting to see if. Other platforms like Reddit or Pinterest or Twitter or the rest of these guys can jump on this opportunity and say, like, actually, we have a different different offering. It will be a great opportunity for those platforms. But I mean, real talk, when I talk to startups that are doing really smart user acquisition, you know, and they're the, the, the best, the brilliant, the most brilliant ones, the most effective ones at squeezing out every dollar they can out of like really effectively targeting and finding new customers. Facebook and Google is still, I mean, they're still the top yeah. Yeah, places absolutely. dollars are yeah. spent. And, and I think even if it got 50% worse, uh, even if it were half as effective as it used to be, it would still be, you know, where most of the dollars are probably yeah, going. Yeah, half of 50 billion is 25 yeah, billion. Still right? a lot. So speaking of sucking money out of uh, customers, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, com- startups are raising money. Um and uh, lots of money. And Alex, uh, over at Crunchbase News, Crunchbase News and his team have this wonderful little report that basically says that the people are raising a lot of very nice even rounds. Um, that's a gross oversimplification for it. So Alex, why don't you break us break down? Yeah. So kind of going back to the roots of equity, we, uh, we've we been doing some work on figuring out how often mega rounds are happening. And we just saw a whole bunch of companies raising $100 million and above. And so we took a bunch of data and we kind of stared at it for a while. And in the last couple of years, it's been kind of up and down, kind of up to the right and how often we see $100 million plus rounds. And then we zoomed out um, looking back to about 2005 or so. And one thing we kind of saw is that these mega rounds that are now kind of almost a daily occurrence in the news and that are having startups all around the world are a new phenomena. And they kind of start happening in the very end of 2013. So we're roughly about five years into this era of mega rounds happening on a very, very regular basis. And just kind of one other data point before I ask why we think that's the case is that if you think back to the start of 2016, there was this moment of kind of panic and fear in the startup world. Some people call it the SaaS crash, whatever you want. But you can kind of see that in the start and I'll throw it in the post um, on TC for this episode. But Mostly up into the right, we're seeing dozens of these uh, $100 million plus rounds happen around the world. And there's been over 40 so far this month. So we're at the absolute like local maximum of mega rounds. And so, you know, for us, critically, why did they kick off at the end of 2013? And then is there any potential for this to slow down in the short term? Because we've talked a lot on the show about how everyone's raising these new billion dollar funds. So my my concern almost is that we're going to keep seeing almost, you know, just infinite hundred billion dollar plus rounds. It scares me for what could happen in a correction. Let's ask the, the Solus VC. VC. <laughs> uh, well, I am. I, I, I'm. I sit at the other end of this because we are at Initialize. We do early stage investing. We're the. F- we, we aim to be in and are always actually the the first check in a company. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're at those early stages. We you could argue in a lot of ways benefit from the fact that now mid to later stage is a wash with capital. I mean, these, these billion dollars that Sequoia's got theirs now, I think there are more to come. I mean, there's a hard thing for, uh, for me actually to really wrap my head around until, you know, spending enough time doing this stuff was that the world is actually a wash with capital seeking yield. And I know it doesn't feel that way to most people, but at the upper levels, the endowments, 
the sovereign wealth funds, pension, the pension like, yeah. funds, uh, and you know, wealthy individuals too. But like the, there is so much wealth concentrated in these institutions that are seeking yield, that are seeking a return because interest rates are so low. And I think they're, I think Japan is still a place with negative interest rates where like it actually, you're getting punished for saving money. Uh, it, it is. All this means that there is a bunch of money in the world that is actually trying to find ways to get a return. And um, I know, it, again, it, it's a mind job to think about. But what that means is more of these super funds are going to get created, especially because like earlier we said, the public markets suck to go to. And hopefully Eric gets it right with long-term stock exchange. But until he does, if you're a founder of a company that's growing and doing well, you would much rather take the check from a soft bank uh, because then you'll get the capital you need, you'll get everything you need to get back to work and not have to worry about, you know, quarterly earnings calls and going through all the rigor of investors that are very short term oriented and are going to flee at the moment something is going wrong or questionable because, you know, being a long term thinker is not fun um, for <laughs> for a lot of casual investors and for the public markets. I mean, I think well, that was one thing that we've talked about before with SoftBank is like, how the hell do you deploy a hundred billion dollars of capital? I don't know. And it then is, how does how does Sequoia do it and how do how do they all do it and return that's their the funds thing. and still <laughs> think about the, yeah, the scale of money. Returns. Yeah, because I remember like this is this it's, is this was I think it was back in I don't know, twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen and we were talking about how like Andreessen Horowitz had just raised like a billion and a half dollars and we were like how the hell are they going to return a billion and a half dollars? That's insane. And now it's it's just yeah. like completely out of control. Well, it's interesting. Um, so it, it, it sort of going hand in hand with these, uh, you know, all this funding is the the rise of the secondary markets. We were just mm -hmm. talking about, you know, yeah. some people cashing out. Uh, I had covered a company yesterday, Equidate, that uh, is a secondary player. And what was interesting to me was... Alexis, you were mentioning all the company, all the money that's been flooding into uh, Silicon Valley, uh, especially in recent years because of interest rates being so low. But he was saying uh, it's sort of not surprisingly, a lot of VCs and hedge funds now are trying to get into these like China based unicorns because things are kind of it just seems like there's like a little bit of a shift afoot. I mean, the money is still coming here, but it's I think a lot more of it's going to be going to China. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see um, if we have as many hundred million dollar rounds here. Also, this is sort of maybe knuckleheaded, but I do wonder if there's like a little bit of one upsmanship because I feel like right around the time we would see like an occasional hundred million dollar round here, you started seeing a lot of them coming out of China. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of wonder if that kind of sped up. Um, it plays a role. It's yeah. a herd mentality yeah. for mm -hmm. sure. And with with a lot of these later stage folks needing to get returns and needing to put this money to work. You're going to see more of these $100 million rounds than others. Now, I think there's still a chasm, uh, and I think it's a good thing because you don't want terrible companies to get too far along. Money. Right. Like, I mean, there are, there are definitely companies that are going to struggle because what they're doing is so intensive. What is, you know, like, uh, like uh, oh we had just had Impossible Burgers, um, where there's a like years and years and years of expensive research to mm -hmm. get a thing that like yeah I think they like just tastes. got cleared on something earlier yes, this week or something like that yeah and so and so that's a good I think that is a well we'll see and I I actually am a personal investor but um we'll see what happens but like that is an example of where yeah it's actually really a good thing that they're able to raise a ton of money. And and maybe even during some pretty uncertain times, we're able to have backing to get this thing to market that I think is going to have a huge impact. But uh, 
but yeah, it's like, it's like, what is a, what is a, a Christianity if there is no hell sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if, if, if this money travels down far enough um, and you have companies that are actually being sustained even before they get to it, where it makes sense to raise a hundred billion dollars, that's where you start having issues. But I think, so I think basically the only good news is more companies are still going to die uh, sort of around the like series after the series B stage mm-hmm. where they're going to be able to raise funding, um, but they're still never going to get to a place where it actually makes sense to raise. You know, yeah. Should we dollars. should we worry about public market and public shareholders, though? I mean, I still sort of feel like it's great for you as an early stage investor. You mm-hmm. can sell some of your shares to mm-hmm. later stage investors, which is, you know, makes perfect sense and is much more sort of acceptable than it ever has been. But, you know, you're mentioning it's hard for companies to go public. It's, it's, a, it's a, you know, sort of an onerous for the founders to have to respond to the demands of the market. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the other counter argument, obviously, is, well, it's just a bunch of accredited investors who are benefiting, True, which is, richer. you know, yeah. it's so, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I, I certainly worry about that. Society? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I it's, don't It's have... just sort of like, you know, it's, it's still like the 1% getting yeah. richer and yeah. everyone else sort of yeah. sitting on the I mean, sidelines. Th- think about what so, happened with all the big five. I mean, Facebook went public with a billion dollars in trillion profit and did incredibly well. Amazon went public very young, did very well. Microsoft, Apple, same thing. Companies have historically in tech been right. able to go public do fine and grow into the you know global behemoths we now know. The idea that you don't want to go public because it's difficult just always strikes me as a bit lazy. Now, I know that there's some costs, same, same. but just like grow <laughs> up to me, these $100 million rounds and bigger are just extended corporate adolescence for companies that don't have to mature into reasonable entities that are more secure for the long term. I think we're encouraging bad behavior and continued losses. And I just don't think it's as good as people claim that it is, unless you are an early stage investor who can get secondary in one of these rounds. So for Alexis, it's, it's great. And Alexis, keep in mind though, I would still be even if the company went public, I would still be just as well compensated. Oh, uh, well, right? depending on the valuation and if right, you can I get still, the flaws. I still get yeah, my liquidity. Well, probably, yeah. I would still get my liquidity. The 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 your point is right in that I think from a from a philosophical standpoint, and even from a societal one, I would much rather. Uh, you know, Joe and Jane public have a chance to buy into companies like Google when they IPO and hold on to it for a long time and make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. The The problem I have is with the mechanisms that work right now. And I mean, that's why we, we put our money with our mouth. We, we put our money where our mouth is mm-hmm. with long-term stock exchange. We're still, you know, a few years away from that actually being able to bear fruit. But uh, from where I sit, the reality is you talk to just about any founder when they're thinking about that later stage decision What's going to happen, whether we like it or not, is they're going to oh, take for the, sure. They're going to yeah, take you the take the money. money. It's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so let's build let's build something better so that the, the decision they actually want to make, the decision they actually should make, is uh, is just a more viable one. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, large private rounds and things like that, uh, so uh, although actually, like Alex, yes, correct me if I'm wrong. It's Slack a business? Oh, Slack is definitely a business. <laughs> Slack's a fantastic business. It, it's okay. a killer company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So we, uh, one thing that we want to touch on as well is there was another piece of news that literally dropped four hours ago. Thank you very much uh, for Atlassian and Slack, where uh, Atlassian is going to be discontinuing HipChat slash Stride, whatever you want to call it, and will be selling that IP to Slack. So Atlassian is basically getting out of the workplace communications and handing all that stuff over to Slack, which is a workplace communications tool, which is fine. Um, but it's better than a lot of stuff out there. 
Uh, and Slack is worth what, like five, six billion dollars or something that like that. That sounds about right. Um, I think it's, I think it's, I th- yeah, I think it's about five billion dollars, and uh, it makes money. Yeah, um, they have paid users. <laughs> they have many, many paid users, um, which is interesting because Atlassian is like a company that's like not doing too badly. Like mm-hmm. this, they, like they, they seem to have their stuff together. I remember back when, back when they went public. Uh, I think Alex is in the room where we were looking at it. We were like, wait, it's twenty fifteen, and a company is going public that's profitable. What? <laughs> like, what? Just they're Australian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that would not be a that would not be a homegrown <laughs> IPO. That would not be an American option. Yeah. Is, that, is that Melbourne or Sydney? I think, I think I'm, I'm looking at Lizzie. I think like it's Sydney. Can any of y'all do it? Oh Australian no! Accent? Absolutely not. <laughs> do it. <laughs> right, no, 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 no. We're not doing Australian accent. Um, but anyways, so I do love the NPR voice. I'm a I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan of all things Australia. Yeah. Can I make a shameless pitch sure. for Australia real quick? Yeah, sure. sure. Hi, listeners. <laughs> do you live in San Francisco? Do you think San Francisco is a nice place? Coffee shops, fun hipster bars, thriving culture. Melbourne is what San Francisco wishes it could be when it comes to coffee shops, restaurants, and culture. If you don't believe me, go visit. And when you're done, you're <laughs> sorry. No, I apologize to our listeners for that. <laughs> you can edit. Oh, you we're, can edit oh, it we're keeping that. I, no, no, Melbourne it's gonna stay. I'm going. I'm, I'm getting on a plane after favorite this. Favorite uh, cities in the world, and if you go there, you'll realize coffee shops just just run roughshod over us. The food scene, farm to table, all this. It's just like so amazing, and just culturally, it's like just so chill. And you've got there's some startup scene there, but it's just it's. Yeah. So basically, what it's you're trying beautiful. to tell us is that move to Melbourne. Uh, yeah, move to Melbourne because the. Uh, entrepreneurs and tech people there are smart enough to get out of a business where they think that they aren't going to win. Um, good, se- good segue, <laughs> Lindley. Good, um, that was good, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> gone, um, but but no, I mean, like, there's, I mean, there's some other things that are in play that are happening here, which uh, I think that Atlassian will be getting a nominal investment in Slack. This is not a Yahoo Alibaba situation, as far as I know, mm, um, no. where the value of Slack, the value of Atlassian is going to be locked in at Slack, but. Uh, but the other thing is, you know, Slack has a number of other products like Bitbucket and Jira and other things like that, that all of a sudden is going to, you know, the Slack Slack and Atlassian went from frenemies to now like totally natural collabor- collaborators and collaborators. But and uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm speaking very fast. Um, and uh, and so now, like, I'm, I'm wondering, does this does, is this going to kind of alter the calculus for companies like Microsoft and Google with G Suite and things like that that are all trying to sort of tackle collaboration? You know, Microsoft just spent a ton of money on buying uh, GitHub, and Atlassian has Bitbucket, and Microsoft has Teams, and Atlassian is now work. Atlassian doesn't have a Teams competitor anymore, but they're working with Slack. So this is a situation where maybe you know smallish shockwave status. I think so. I think so. The weird thing, though, for me is who uses <laughs> no HipChat? One. Did I miss? I out? loved HipChat back in the day. <laughs> no, but right now, yeah. who is using HipChat? Are there <laughs> are, are users in the mix, or is it really just about the product? And, it's probably IP, uh, right? I think Alex it's a brand. Uses. Alex, yeah. I was, oh, was yeah. it? Is it? No, it's IP. They're, yeah. sell, they're selling their IP. So. So nobody. Yeah, nobody. <laughs> basically answer. nobody. We have gone to zero, so we'll sell the IP. Well, you know, one thing that caught my eye about uh, this was I've always thought of Slack as the the far and away leader in kind of the internal communications chat space and that everyone else was, you know, super far behind because I'm a very Silicon Valley oriented person given that I, I live there half the time. Um, but that's a little bit wrong. And I didn't really realize how much money Microsoft had put into its product called Teams, which competes directly and was recently made free. 
uh, like about two weeks ago. And also there's two in China that we should keep an eye on. There's Ding Talk, um, which is Alibaba's equivalent. And it has more than 1.5 million companies, not users, companies on the platform. And also, yeah, exactly. China's always just in the corner being huge. China's very big. And then uh, WeChat Enterprise. So Slack may actually need an ally to help keep growing. And Atlassian has a probably a pretty good channel to sell into. So if they can teamwork this, maybe for them it's an edge to keep growing as fast as they have been. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean, like Microsoft, I mean, yeah, Microsoft, when they bought LinkedIn, they also bought the largest customer acquisition channel on the planet. So these these sort of deals sometimes have... Uh, subtext to them that uh, that like you know like you're talking about how you're able to kind of cross promote different products across different companies even mm-hmm. so you know say if I'm a if I'm a Slack user and a GitHub user maybe Bitbucket makes a little bit more sense right uh, yeah. because there's better integrations or there's better brand synergy or things like that um, but yeah so it'll it'll be interesting um, so I think that's all the time we have we're not gonna be able to get to crypto which tragedy. But uh, but yeah, thanks everyone for joining and uh, come back next week. What are we doing next we're week? We're going to Melbourne. <laughs> can you can you come back? Could someone send this guy Wait. back to Melbourne? <laughs> everyone, right. the it's okay. The only the only crypto thing I wanted to talk about was Coin Tracker. Oh, is that the ICO okay. thing? They let you just keep track of all your big gains or losses, and then, the ex- <laughs> and then you export all of it uh, directly to your your poor beleaguered accountant. Uh, so they just do all the math for you so that you can actually get one. Yeah. You're going to have to keep this part in there. I'm I'm being told by Australia expert Elizabeth Garvin, uh, my chief of staff, that it's pronounced Melbourne. Why would, they put, why would they put the R? Why would they put the R in there if they didn't want to pronounce Americans, it? Americans, man. Yeah. They're she just trap us. Figure it out, Australia. What are you doing with your arms? Uh, all right, all right. Now, now that's now, now, we're, now we're done here. All right. Thanks, thanks for joining us, everyone. Sorry for the psych out. Have I uh, come back next week. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And a big thank you to Matthew Lindley, Connie Loizos, our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, And we will see you all right here next week.